0: 640 Toronto presents Think Tank, the breaking stories you care about, facts and opinions that get you through the day. Now, let's meet the guests.
1: Let's do exactly that. 7.36 on a Monday morning, zero current temperature, and the wind chill makes it feel like minus six. We'll sort of sneak our way up to two degrees, uh, but just one of those mixed weather days. We're not going to have a mixed Think Tank. We're going to bring it on a Monday morning, so let's welcome on our two guests. Kareem Assad is a lawyer and a political satirist as well satire is hard to do karima you do it so well and you do a lot more than that thanks for being with us this morning
0: thank you for having me
1: always always and uh, eric cam some of his segments uh, border on satirical but he generally gives us phenomenal phenomenal uh of opinions about education and economics and the business world as well he's a, a toronto metropolitan university economics professor you're still going with that right that is my day job. Thanks for inviting me. And the and they're now, I know this because I did a campus tour, they're now the bold. You didn't have anything to do with that, Nick. They used to be the Rams, and now they're the bold, the B-O-L-D.
2: Well, they're the bold in name, but the mascot looks like a injured bird. I don't know what's going on. It
1: does look like he ran into something. Like, yeah, there was some kind of a flight pattern that went... Uh, went awry at some point and maybe hit the shark tank guys private plane or something. I don't know, but, but either or either, or it doesn't matter. Um, I want to play you guys a clip about uh, post-secondary education. So it's great. We have you this morning, Eric and Kareem and I, I, of course have our own experiences, but I want to play you something from Vareed Zakaria on CNN yesterday. This thing, 15 million people saw him put out this six minute commentary from his GPS show yesterday. Here's some of it. It's about universities, colleges, and the future direction in which they need to go. Here's what Fareed Zakaria said yesterday on CNN.
3: It started with the best of intentions. Colleges wanted to make sure young people of all backgrounds had access to higher education and felt comfortable on campus. But those good intentions have morphed into a dogmatic ideology and turned these universities into places where the pervasive goals are political and social engineering, not academic merit. As the evidence produced for the recent Supreme Court case on affirmative action showed, universities have systematically downplayed merit-based criteria for admissions in favor of racial quotas. Some universities' response to this ruling seems to be that they will go further down this path, eliminating the requirement for any standardized tests like the SAT. That move would allow them to then take students with little reference to objective criteria.
1: Okay. And there's a lot there. And and if anything, the test ends up being the great equalizer. It's got nothing to do with whether your family was rich. You could play competitive sports. You could volunteer. And that's so much of, of about what gets kids into uh, universities and colleges at ed- elite schools, especially now. Karima, it, it gets us asking a lot of big questions about what universities are are supposed to be and where they should be on major moral and political issues. And and some people are saying it's, it's too much of that and it's not enough about the actual education itself. Where do you weigh in on what they should be and how they should change?
0: Well, there's a lot to unpack. Um, I think fundamentally, universities are a- about centers of learning and research and critical thinking um, and anything that impedes with those objectives needs to be scrutinized. Uh, For a long time, there have been alarm bells about the idea of representational politics, um, of ticking boxes to reach quotas. I don't think that that's actually an effective mechanism. These were responses, however, to systems that were patently unfair uh, and unfair what may be an overcorrection or um, a- addressing the wrong issue, right? Because we talk mm-hmm. about SATs, for example, we don't, uh, my experience would be with the LSATs for, for right. and yes, it is a standardized test, but there are ways to gain that, um, to have sort of, um, if you go to the lessons or the, the instructions um, and you pay money for those classes and the books, you will, do better than someone just taking it wrong. So it's not a perfect objective measure. Um, and I think that a mix of objective and subjective so that we have the best possible, uh, you know, best possible grouping, right? We want to bring in the cream of the crop and something that's not addressed um, really is legacy admissions in the States, which are a huge thing. Um, and like uh, that, that is not equal. So, i i I'm of two minds on this because on the one hand, I, I recognize um, that I think post-secondary they're they're falling short at the moment and have been for some time um, mm-hmm. on issues of free expression and and cultivating wow. like healthy healthy student body.
1: That's amazingly, yeah, that that covers a lot of ground. And I think uh, Eric Karima puts it in great perspective in that it's a complicated issue. It's not a three-sentence answer as to what universities are supposed to do. And I should point out, you're not only a university professor, but your daughter has just started in university this year. So if someone says to you, what are you hoping she gets out of it, what's a standard answer for you to say to them?
2: I want my daughter, as I want every student who sits in my lecture hall, Greg, to learn how to think. The problem is in university today, so much of the humanities and the social sciences has been focused around what to think. And to me, this is the great tragedy of our time. Listen, when the equity, diversity, and inclusion movement came in, it represented really good ideals about no student being left behind and equality of opportunity and a lot of things that I could get behind. The problem now is that it's become i know people use the term woke but it's really become a singular mind speak and it is down a very dangerous path where we don't want disruption anymore we don't want people thinking critically we want people to endorse a movement which right now as i say especially in the social sciences and the humanities is anti-capitalist anti-many things and you know what I teach economics i have no problem if a student comes into my class and wants to learn about or talk about marxist economics and how does that differ from what we're learning but i don't appreciate when students come into my class and they're taking a course in social work or sociology and they have a mindset because they've been told by that professor that everything they're going to learn in my class is predicated upon patriarchy inequity racism that makes me mad because that doesn't leave room for disruption greg that means there's one way to think a right way and a wrong way and that is not that is the antithetical approach to what universities should be right
1: and we get a lot of that you know not only do you need to think like i think but not only is your opinion wrong if you don't think like i think but there's something wrong with you it's not just your opinion and forget whether we could agree on eight out of ten things or nine out of ten things it's i don't like your opinion and now I don't like you. I want to read you both something really quick. John Stewart said to the very same Fareed Zakaria. So the TV talk show host John Stewart, when he started doing this way back when he's doing the Daily Show, and he said this about um, about DEI programs. He said, "We won't actually dismantle the vestiges of all the systemic racism and all the systemic classism and all the systemic gender issues. We won't dismantle that. But what we will do is you can have an office in the building, and every few months we're going to have to sit and listen to you talk for an hour. And so we're good, right?" And And Kareem, I'd come back around and say, those of us, I wrote essays on affirmative action when I was in university in the mid 90s. I do think college campuses should look like the communities around them. And we've got to give every opportunity, equal opportunity, the right number of chances to communities to get in regardless of of any sort of thing, any sort of barriers. But to Stuart's point, Karima, universities aren't really doing that quite as much. And I think they've lost a lot of people that used to believe in the concept that universities should look like their communities.
0: Yeah, I think that there has been an overemphasis on some performative aspects um, or things that we can visually see. And the hard work um, is yet to be done because it's quite easy to disrupt and dismantle. Those are the fun parts, uh, depending on you know what what kind of what you enjoy doing but the rebuild that's that's where the real work comes in um and and that's we have to allow spaces um i I agree with um universities about critical thinking and that being uh, the core function um and and that's not possible um with any type of authoritarianism, regardless of of what direction it comes from. That needs to Mm. be identified and resisted.
1: It's Kareem Assad. It's Eric Kam joining us on Think Tank on 640 Toronto. We run it every day between 730 and 8 uninterrupted. I want to stay with post-secondary institutions for now. Come to you first, Eric. Um, Many parents my age have kids applying to university. As I mentioned, your daughter got into university last year and they're being asked. And I told some people this who were shocked by this. I'm not. Um, It feels pretty mandatory now. It feels invasive. They're asked on a university application to list their sexual orientation. I don't know a workplace that could do this. This wouldn't happen in high school. This wouldn't happen in any sort of scenario except maybe, you know, some kind of Internet survey or whatnot. What are your thoughts about that being the case? I'm not surprised, but I I also don't think it should be happening. What do you say about it?
2: I think it's a microcosm, Greg, of what's going on in universities today. Do you know how many times I talk about what goes on in my workplace and my private sector friends look at me and their only response is, that would not fly at my place of work, whether it's a law firm or an advertising firm or a medical office. They say, I don't know how universities get away with that. I don't know what the damn difference is between someone's sexual orientation. I don't know about any of these things. I wouldn't report them. If you have an option of do not want to say, Mm -hmm. then I would not want to say. It goes back to so many things that we're talking about, about trying to get conversation. I mean, conversation should be encouraged in classrooms and encouraged in lecture halls. And yeah, I do think you get that by diversity. But when diversity becomes a oneness of thought or universities saying there's a specific look that we want to get, then I think that becomes dangerous because I think that's just an old quota system. They used to have it in terms of, for example, Jewish people in medical school. They didn't want to let in too many Jews into medical school at U of T in the 1940s. I don't want to go back to the bad old days.
1: Karima, that's a, it's a very personal question. It's a question you're asking 17 and 18 year olds who may be still evolving into who they are and what they are. And I'd hate for it to, I wouldn't want anybody not admitted because of the answer on it, but I'm worried that the right answer at the right school, if they need the right number of a certain category, it'll actually pay off with dividends as in we'll take you if you're this, we won't take you for that. And that goes against the whole grain of what, of what we're supposed to do in terms of equality, doesn't it?
0: Yeah. And what's the, like, what's the bearing, what's the relationship between that particular marker of identity and, um, success at university, um, belonging at university. Uh, I I don't really see the purpose of this. Um, and to your point, uh, it's asked when students are still young, may still be minors um, and maybe haven't had an opportunity to explore. Like that's not the kind of list I think that universities should be making, whatever the intention. Um, I, I don't, See
1: how we are normalizing that yeah i and to me if you are okay then we've got support services or there's a community here you'll feel welcome you won't feel ostracized you won't feel isolated but let's let's get you in first and, and then make sure that we go from there i want to move on to uh the potential for Rob Ford Stadium, Karima, I'll stay with you. The city is going to look at renaming a Centennial Park in Etobicoke after the late mayor. Um, it got rejected in 2017, about a year after Rob Ford's passing. And it was actually then Mayor John Tory that pushed it and said, let's do this um, and, and let's name a stadium after him. But it was voted 24-11 against. Do you think six years later it'll have more support from Toronto City Council Even though Rob Ford, you just mentioned him, right, Karima? And and it's still a polarizing topic as to who he was. Did he do more good for the city than bad?
0: Uh, The passage of time may have eased some of those initial concerns. And and now, you know, people look back and it's a more fond memory. To um, Rob Ford's credit, I think that many of his constituents genuinely liked him, right? Which is more than can be said for his brother at times. Um, And and so that acknowledgement, that recognition, it's common, I think, for former mayors. And if we're having this debate now about Rob Ford, despite his controversies, he still left office kind of in a regular fashion. Are we going to be having the same conversation about John Tory, who resigned? Um, So I think that this is a smart political move Um, By Mayor Chow, it it, it kind of shows um, some humanity there. And it's also about preserving the status quo a little bit.
1: How do you view it, Eric? And and to, to Karima's point, Olivia Chow backs this plan to rename the Etobicoke Stadium after Rob Ford. Olivia Chow might be ticking off her base at times, but I think she's also winning law, uh, you know, applause from some people who are skeptical. She's clearing homeless encampments in some places. She's uploaded the DVP in the Gardener to to the province. Something people said she couldn't do. And then there's this. Um, could you see Rob Ford Stadium existing in Etobicoke?
2: I really hope so. And I'll tell you why. When I think back on Ford Nation, I think about the years that he was mayor and fiscal restraint and fiscal responsibility. But what I think about the most was his volunteerism. I know a lot of people who knew Rob Ford in a variety of different ways. And what they all rave about was the way he gave back to his community, whether it was his Ford Fests or coaching football or helping people financially without getting a lot of applause for it. Rob Ford really was a man of the people. Uh, I know it didn't end in the best way, but that for me doesn't drown out the fact that this is a person who, a young man who died far too early and he had a legacy of giving back. And I think, frankly, we've named things in honor of far worse people than Rob Ford. So I'd like to see this one go through.
1: All right, I want to hop to this. Uh, And speaking of the Fords, Karima just mentioned it, but I'll start with you, Eric. Eric, Just to sum up the year, the Ontario legislature uh, up for the year. They won't be back until February. It's quite a year in provincial politics, obviously. Mart Stiles established herself as NDP leader, leader of the opposition. And in the last, well, week and a half now, we find out that the Ontario Liberal leader will indeed be Mississauga Mayor Bonnie Crombie. But... My question to you about the Ford PCs, they've opened up an 18-point lead over the NDP. There's been the Green Belt. There's been lots of things that people have been, at times, upset with the Ford government about. But their numbers are still holding, according to a lot of the polls. So my question for you, and then Karima to follow, is the Ford government as popular, more popular, less popular than 12 months ago at this time? How do you see it?
2: I actually think it's more popular I think that with all of the change you've seen in 2023, I think the Ford government has really developed a niche for holding down the fort. And I hear that from supporters of the Ford government and people who didn't even vote for the Ford government. But through the pandemic, through the inflation that followed, through the labor market problems that are ensuing now, people see the Fords as a calming source. And I think that's what's missing from the other two parties is I think they see those parties as wild cards. And so maybe it's the devil you know, but I think they've actually had a relatively good year. No, you know that no politician is perfect. There's ups and downs, but on the whole, personally, I'm glad that he was our premier for the last three or four years, because these have been turbulent times that are unprecedented, Greg.
1: Karima, how do you view it? He's He seems to be able to move past certain things. Some of that is, uh, yes, the strength of the Liberal Party is very uh, has been unstable for a long time, an interim leader for basically a year and a half. They've only got nine seats. Ford has 79. Do you think he's more popular than he was a year ago at this time?
0: Well, there's a real Teflon-like quality about the Ford government where nothing seems to stick, and we have... Um, corruption and scandal after corruption and scandal. We have emergency rooms closing. We have a pending criminal investigation about the Greenbelt. We have the Auditor General who got fired after, or replaced rather, after releasing quite a damning report. Um, And none of it seems to really matter uh, if you look at these polls. Um, So I scratch my head at it. I don't quite Understand? I don't understand how the legislature is on break until February. <laughs> <whenever>
1: you, <laughs> you and everybody else, I know, A nice eleven-week <laughs> vacation for our, uh, our paid uh, our paid officials, right?
0: Yeah. So I, I, I mean, I don't get it, but um, you know, uh, it, I do think that the NDP and the Liberals, um, you know, have hmm. helped uh, Mr. Ford um, in kind of maintaining this his position, um, and you know. Their bases have also been affected, I think, um, for the NDP, everything, all the controversy surrounding Sarah Jemma and people on either side of that divide um, have walked away from the party simply. Um, So to me, that um, and other things would explain Mm. this polling result.
1: Eric, really quick. What Karima brings up, though, I think we could also attach at times to the Trudeau liberals. It's been eight and a half years now. We look, they just got reelected. I know it was sort of a pandemic election, a mandate election, if you will. um, But they just got elected with decent numbers, you know, two years ago, plus a couple months. And if you told me they'd be as unpopular in the polls now. 26 months later, I'd never believe it. And yet so many people tore their hair out about there's this scandal and that scandal and the wee Charity and SNC-Lavalin, and, and it, it wasn't sticking with people. And lately, just plain the economy sucking has stuck to the Trudeau liberals.
2: You know, I think there's something that flows through Mr. Trudeau and Mr. Ford, which is right now, in this economist's opinion, we are in the worst financial and economic straits we've been in since probably the Great Depression. Every macro variable, every macro indicator we look at is headed downward. And so people realize far too many people, according to far too many surveys, are one paycheck away from insolvency. And so they're looking at their leaders going, is there somebody here that I believe can help me, can help me feed my family and dress put clothes on my children's backs? And I think that um, mm. our other guest made a really good point. The other parties are making it really easy right now to look at Mr. Polyev, to look at Mr. Ford and say, you know what, I may not love everything about them, mm. but I think they're my best bet to keep my home and feed my family.
1: Only got about 45 seconds for each answer here, but an announcement coming later this week, Karima, that beer and wine will be available in convenience stores. Some people have waited for this for seemingly ever. Give me a sense as to how we are on this. Does beer and wine in local stores help our communities?
0: Uh, I think that it probably will boost revenue for convenience stores. And in a world where um, it's no longer Canadian brewers who are, really at the helm of the beer store, it, it may make, make economic sense.
1: Eric, what do you think?
2: I think the, LCO, the LCBO was never a good idea. I believe in competition first. Anything that gets more sellers of anything, to me, is a good idea. I don't believe in monopolies. I think this will bring down the price, and I think this will increase accessibility. And I don't care what the good is in this economy. That's important right now.
1: Makes sense to me. Hey, loved having you both on this morning. Karima, Eric, big fans of both of you. Thank you for giving us the time this morning on this Monday. Thank you. Thanks. Stay healthy. There's Karima Sad, Eric Cam, Think Tank, which airs every Monday through Friday, 730 to 8.